when we handle a Bible, we're, we're handling something that, of course, is paper and card and ink and so on, but it's also lives. It connects us with lots and lots of people, a great chain of people going back through hundreds of years. Some of them are people that we know. Some of them are people who are here, who we've talked to about things in the Bible and it's affected our life as well as theirs. Some of them are people in other countries who we send Bibles to or who maybe who we write to. Some of them are people who've been dead for many, many hundreds or even thousands of years. And we are part of that story. We, we become part of that story when we pick up, pick up a Bible and start to use it. Introduction to the Bible. Is that a slightly pretentious title? So my, my job is to introduce the Bible to uh, people, many of whom have been using it for, for quite a while. Uh, and maybe that will take 75 hours. I'm not quite sure after the uh, quiz. But before we think about the Bible together, let's just pray. And as we pray, remember that Jesus used words from the Bible that he had at that time when he was just about to begin his ministry, but was in the wilderness, in the desert, and there he was tempted. And Lord, just as you were tested by circumstances and by the devil and yet used the word of scripture to reply and to express yourself. We pray that you would teach us to follow you and to use your word as your disciples. Amen. Amen. See, the Bible is important for anybody who wants to be a follower of Jesus for two reasons. Firstly, because it's all about him. Now, the New Testament is obviously about Jesus. It starts with the Gospels that are the, the, the story of at least part of his, his life. And the rest of the New Testament tells us the effect that that had on the people who were living at that time and just afterwards. It's obvious that Jesus is the central character of the New Testament. But he also says in the Gospels, when speaking to some of the Jewish religious leaders about their scriptures, their Bible, these are the ones that speak about me. Jesus believed that the Jewish Bible, what we call the Old Testament, spoke about him. So for people who are following him, we, we have a reason to use the whole Bible, old and new parts, because they're all something to do with Jesus. And we also have his example, because we, we see in our reading that Jesus used the Bible in the wilderness. Did you notice that? Maybe those of us who are used to it would, would kind of see that as obvious, and those of us who are not used to it, it wouldn't be obvious. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's obvious or not. But don't just, just, just take it from me. You, you, you can check. If you, if you have the uh, church Bible there on page uh, 967, I'm going to need my specs again there. You'll see in verse 4 of chapter 4, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then there's a little A. And the A is a footnote that tells us that those words are a quote. Jesus is using words that somebody else had used before. And, and not just that, that had been written down. 
and they're found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8 and verse 3, which is part of the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament. And similarly, in the rest of the reading, there are, there are, there are three more quotations from uh, the, the Old Testament. Jesus is using the Bible. And yet he's in the wilderness. And that, that tells us something straight away. He's, he's probably not got, a, well, he, he wouldn't have a Bible like, like this because they, weren't, they didn't exist. They, they weren't printed. Their, their, their written material was probably in scrolls, but he would not have had access to a set of scrolls in the wilderness, in the desert. Excuse me. Now, our, our version here says, has the word desert in the first verse, and that's, that's absolutely fine. A desert, anyone know why it's called a desert? Because it's dis- abs- exactly that. Now, sometimes we see the word desert and we think hot, you know, sand, mirages, and the guy's saying, I want water. Well, that is one kind of desert, but it's a desert because it's deserted. There, was, there were no other human beings there. There were no people there. Other versions use the word wilderness. Now, do you know why it's called a wilderness? Because there are wild things there. There are wild things at the zoo, but it's not necessarily a wilderness. But. So is the M23. It's not a wilderness. Sorry if I'm being a bit awkward there, actually, but why is it called a wilderness? It's, it's usually a big, big space, because it's a wild place. Not, not in the sense of being like the Wild West but it's a place where there's no human civilization. There's no evidence. It's not just that there's nobody there. There's no evidence that anyone's been there. There are no buildings. There are no park benches. There are no taps or wells. There are no books. There are no umbrellas. It's just a wild place where not only will you not meet anyone, you will not meet any evidence of anyone either. And that's where Jesus went. And there, he's able to quote from the Bible. Why is that? How is he able to use these verses from the Bible if he hasn't got a set of scrolls or a little synagogue to nip into and check? Why is that? It was because it... Absolutely. It's because he knew it by heart. He brought it with him. It was part of him. Interesting phrase, that, not it? To, to learn something by heart as if it's stored away in that deep part of you. And Jesus was able to use that because he knew it by heart. And that tells us, as John says, that he'd looked at it before. He'd read the Bible before. And he'd spent enough time with it to actually learn some of it. That's a fact in its own right, isn't it, really? Jesus was a Bible reader over many years. And so it's good for us to be Bible readers too. And he's using the Bible in this particular text. Do you remember a, a few weeks ago we were looking at um, Psalm 19 and thinking about what the psalmist was trying to tell us through that particular t- uh, psalm. I was asking loads of questions there, t- there too. And I asked you to, to find a single word that would capture the sort of feel of the whole psalm. I remember I, I gave that question to Ian and, and he came up, can you remember what the word was, Ian, that he came up with? <laughs> It wasn't memory, it was, uh, it was communication. 
And the word communication is really, really important because it has a starting point and it has an ending point and it has a middle bit. It's like a story with a beginning, a middle and an end. And there's somebody who wants to, to, to give something out and there's a someone, or maybe plural, someones, that he or she wants that, that message, that meaning to go to. And that person uses a, a, some, some method or other to communicate. And the, the Bible is an act of communication. In fact, it's a, it's a lot of separate acts of communication that have been put together. People who wanted to write something down that really mattered to them because they believed that it would be important for people who came afterwards. And the people who came afterwards believed it was so important that they passed it on to the next set of people who came on after them. And as language changed and technology changed and society changed, people have worked hard to pass this message on. Now we've got someone here who works hard to pass the the message on, but I don't think you've been tortured for it yet, or, or have, have, been, have been hanged for it yet. So, and, but there are people who have died to get us this English Bible. And similarly, people in other countries have suffered for trying to pass the message on. But it is an act of communication that starts somewhere and ends somewhere else. Let's just have a look in in detail at our reading and see what's happening to, to Jesus. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, does that surprise you? It doesn't surprise me. Uh, I, I don't know whether you have any experience of fasting. I can't claim to be a great expert on it myself. Uh, but I, I, I have read things by people who have uh, developed the habit of fasting of fasting, as it may well be in Crawley, but it's, it was fasting back in Manchester. Uh, but I think it's the same thing, isn't it? Really? Uh, and they, they talk about their experiences, and, the, and I remember one, one guy was saying that he says that if he tries a, you know, a long fast that might be like 12 days or something, or that's, that's without food, not, he does take, take water, or 15 days or even longer, the first two or three days are really hard, he says. But then after that, your body adjusts and you just feel kind of normal. You haven't got a lot of energy for running around or lifting things, but your mind is quite, quite clear. You're able to think clearly and function well. But then after a while, you start to feel hungry again. And his, his thought was, and I, I, whether our, our medical friends can, can tell us this, that the human body is adapted for famine conditions because people do have to live through them. The human race hasn't always had food in a supermarket to eat every day. And so our, our bodies apparently are able to live with plenty, where we, we know we're going to get food every day, we get into a certain habit, and our bodies work in a certain way. And when the food supply dries up, then our bodies can adjust to a different way of working, where they can work more efficiently, but with less energy for a longer period. But when the body's stores of food are used up, the hunger feelings come back because that's telling the person that they're going to die if they don't eat something. It's beginning to use the muscles and so on in order to provide food for the person. So perhaps at the end of his 40-day fast, Jesus' hunger feelings came back 
to him. Perhaps that's what, what he was experiencing. And do you know why people fast? Why do you think Jesus was fasting? Absolutely, yeah, and that, and that fits with going into the wilderness, getting away from people, getting away from things to make room for God. And isn't that what, what Andy was saying to us, that the season of Lent, this time of Lent, is all about? I'm not recommending that we all stop eating until Easter weekend, though there's always that option. But the thought is to make room so that God can fill the space. And our passage tells us that Jesus didn't just drift into the wilderness. He was there because the Holy Spirit led him into the desert. God took him there because that's where he wanted him to be. And that was where Jesus wanted to be, with God alone. But at the end of that time, when he'd be feeling at his most vulnerable, his most tired, his most hungry, perhaps his most lonely, in that most vulnerable time, just getting right to the end, that's when the temptation comes to him. You know how easy it is to, uh, when we're performing any task, to really concentrate and do our best, and then when we get near to the, the, the finishing line, to, to kind of relax a bit too soon and fumble it. You know, they say that lots of car accidents happen within a short distance of the person's home. Obviously, not all of them. But when, when that does happen, the person might have had a very long journey, they might well be a little bit tired, and because they're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm home now, they just lose concentration for that last bit, and then there's an accident, because they're not, they're not prepared. And the devil is using his moment to have a go at Jesus. Jesus is right at the end of his human tether, you might say, and that's when the temptation comes to him. And here's the temptation. If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And it's, it's an obvious temptation, isn't it? If you, if, you, if you are who you say you are, then do this miracle. And Jesus' human nature and his human hunger would amplify that particular temptation. And we, we are influenced by many desires and appetites that are God-given. Hunger is God-given, actually. And so are many other desires that, that we have. They're part of what we are and who we are as human beings. But Jesus is determined that his life is going to be ruled by something else. His aim is something completely different. And so he gives his answer. It is written, and that's a very significant phrase, you know. It is written. He doesn't say, well, I think it's a good idea. Or the guy at the corner shop said to me, maybe a great guy at the corner shop, he says, it is written. Now, it's a bit weird, isn't it, really? One word that we sometimes use to describe the Bible is we call it scripture. Have you, have you heard that, that word, scripture? It's a bit of an old word, actually. It's, it's where we get the word script from. It's the same root. Script is something that, that has been written by somebody. And scripture is a collection of things that have been written, in this case, by different people. But it's a special collection with a special purpose. And Jesus recognises that purpose when he says, 
it is written. He's saying there is a scripture. There are written things that have a special purpose that are very, very relevant for me, i.e. for him, just now. And so he uses these words. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, Jesus had gone into the wilderness to be alone with God. Having that fast, whether we fast from chocolate or from TV, or, or whatever it is, or from alcohol, or you know, whatever the thing is that we give up for that, for, for that particular period, is our way of saying to God, I want to be more committed to you than to the television set. I want my life to be about you, not about chocolate. I want the things that, that are important to you to be more important to me than whatever it is, that, that particular thing. And Jesus' fasting was a prayer. By not eating, that is an acted-out prayer. It's an action prayer. Saying all the time, God, I want you more than my food. You know, Jesus on one occasion says to his disciples, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Do you remember that, that little incident? I believe it's in John's, John's God. And, and the disciples start saying, oh, did you bring the sandwiches? Oh, we've got no bread. Oh, he's, he's telling us off because we haven't got, got any food. There's no picnic. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And they said, oh. He said, my food and drink is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. That's the kind of thing that Jesus would say, isn't it? Because he really is the Son of God. And the devil says to him, if you're the Son of God, make these stones into loaves. And Jesus is saying, because I am the Son of God, I'm not going to. I'm going to say, Father, my food is to do your work and to see it's finished no matter what it costs. And I'm fasting as an acted out prayer day after day to you to say that. And that's very powerful actually. Jesus declared who he was by not turning the stones into bread. Because through that he's saying, Father, what you say is more important to me than the food that my body needs. My life is actually about what you give me to do. It's not about the food that I eat day by day. And it's also interesting that, that, that to say that, Jesus uses these words from the Old Testament. He uses words that have been written by someone else. But when he says them, he means them. I mean, he means them for himself. They are true in his experience. Now, there's a verse in the Bible that warns against preaching and teaching from the Bible. Did you know that? It's in, it's in the letter of James, I believe. He says, don't, don't let many of you become preachers and teachers because that's going to make life difficult for you. I'm paraphrasing a bit there. But the problem is that you can study... I mean, if you're good at books you know, good at words and so on, you can study all this and learn lots and lots about it, but it's not happening in your life. 
that's the problem. That's why I feel very challenged this Lent. And I want to say to God, show me where I can move on. Show me where I can change. Show me where I can live up to the things that I'm supposed to believe in. Because it's a dreadful thing to study and find out lots of facts and figures. And it's, it's not that that's a bad thing, but it's a dreadful thing to have all that and not be able to live up to it. But what Jesus is doing here is not just quoting a verse that he has learned. He's saying something that is true in his experience at that moment. And the temptation brings it out. It allows him to say who he is. Now, the, the, the verses that Jesus quotes from are all from the book of Deuteronomy. Now here's a technical question now, but, so don't worry if you don't know the answer. Somebody's bound to. Do you know what Deuteronomy means? Don't know. Don't know? Do you know what deutero means, or deuter? It's, uh, no, it's different. different. It means two, actually. Two. It's two no, it's, it's just two. Deuter means two. And... Well, it could be, couldn't it? It's, it's actually, it's, it is, it is a, sim, yeah, a similar kind of root, actually. De- Deuteronomy means the second law. And the first law is what God says to the Jewish people in the book of Exodus when he gives them the Ten Commandments and these are the laws. Now, do you know where they were when God gave them the Ten Commandments? They were in the desert. No, it is Mount. Mount Sinai. They were in the wilderness of which Sinai, in the Sinai wilderness. And do you know what happened next? They wandered around in the wilderness for 38 years. They'd been going for about 18 months already, so it was about 40 years. And after that 40 years, they were just about ready to go into the, the land that God had promised them at the very beginning. But they didn't want to go into it at the start. And Deuteronomy is when God repeats the law 40 or nearly 40 years later to the the children of that first generation and says, this is now your covenant. It's not their covenant. This is your covenant now. And you are going to go into the promised land. And that's what's in Jesus' thoughts as he answers the devil. Maybe that's what he'd been thinking about. He'd spent 40 days in the wilderness And one of the things that he almost certainly remembered was how the people of Israel had spent 40 years in the wilderness, so near to God, and yet arguing with him and and falling out with him sometimes and feeling far away from him and not able to reach out to him and not able to obey him. And then finally getting to a place where they could enter into all that God had promised them. 1,260 promises we saw on the slide and they had the promise of of this special land and they were now just about ready to go in and I believe Jesus felt like that that he was just about to enter a promised land that he'd known about all his life 
but he'd found out about and understood more through reading the scriptures. He was going to begin his ministry. He was going to bring healing, sight to the blind, release to the captives, God's wealth to those who were poor in spirit. He was going to bring the kingdom of God that is actually talked about in the book of Exodus. That's what God wanted the promised land to be like. A place where anyone could visit and see what it was like to live in a place where everybody worshipped God and where his power and mercy were seen. And wherever Jesus was, there it was. Jesus is using the Bible to see his direction for life and to understand who he is. And he calls us to do the same. He said to his disciples, follow me. Now the Bible is an important book, but it's not important just because it's a book. It's not important just because it's about God, though that's, you know, that is uh, of great value. It's not important because it has great people in it, though it, though it does. It's not important though it, because it can teach us great things about life that are really good lessons, because it can do that. But so can many other books, and they are good too. But Jesus believed that in him, everything that God had said to the Jewish people was going to be made available to the whole world. And that's what his followers have recorded for us. And in this whole book, we can find out who he was and who he calls us to be as we follow him. Now, I was saying that, the, that you know, we, can, we can look at the print and the page, but when we do, we should really think about people. Lots of people are involved in this book. And like, like Andy, I'd, I could have brought the Bible that I was given at school. So I think about the people at school who talk to me about the Bible. I could have, given, I could have brought the Bible that I was given at my Sunday school from, from church. And that would have reminded me about the, the people who talked to me when I was a child and, and taught me through my teenage years about the Bible. Instead, I've got this handy pocket-sized New Testament. It's a, it's a version of the New Testament, it's, it's a modern printing of it, but it's a version of the New Testament translated by a chap called William Tyndale, which, Wendy, you'll know about, all about the story of Tyndale, who was a guy who was chased like an outlaw across Britain and then into Europe and was eventually murdered. And he devoted his life to translating the Bible into English. But he was like a, well, he was an outlaw, really. The price that, 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 and just a few years, well, even while he was being murdered, his work was being used to produce an official Bible uh, under Henry VIII. Crazy. It was a ridiculous situation, really. So I remember people like that too, really. But lots of people who'd given an awful lot to get the Bible to us. But it's not just about them. It's about the people who were there at the time and wanted to pass on what, what they saw and what they experienced. But you know, it's not just about them either. Jesus said, it is written, man, that's you and me, yeah? male and female, together we are, we are what, the, the, the race that God created. Man shall not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he uses the scripture, the written word, to be that. He takes them as statements that have come to us through people from God. Now, we were, I, was, I was looking for these. These, these, are, these are old letters. Right? These are old, old letters that I wrote to, to Debbie. Here's one from July 1980. Uh, my plans for next year will soon be settled. Blah, blah, blah. See, that's very exciting, isn't it, really? Uh, here's one from 27th of July 1981. Don't you wish you could see physics in this glorious light? (laughs) (laughs) Some things don't change, do they really? Isn't that that ridiculous? Here's one from March 1982, and it's, it's, uh, I don't know how many sheets of A4 paper. It's three three sheets, so that's uh, eight, that's six sides. Now, if you've seen my writing... That is incredibly neat for me. I've, I've really taken trouble to write on the lines <laughs> and to make everything. So that, that is a labour of love. But, you know, it, I'm, I'm still a bit like that when I do emails, especially on an important topic. I like, to, I like to feel right about every sentence. And if it kind of niggles me that it's not right, I have to go back and change it, which is, you know, a bit perfectionist, really. But I kind of feel there's something about expressing yourself in, in, in the written word where you really want it to be your best, especially when it's to someone that you care about, about a message that you really care about. And I kind of feel that the people who were involved in getting the Bible to us are people who absolutely did their best because it mattered to them. But more than that, it actually starts in the heart of God. God has spoken to us because he wanted to. It mattered to him. And he's done it in the best way that he could, through his prophets, of course, but ultimately through the the, the best person that he could send to us, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's taken the the greatest trouble to communicate with us in the best way possible, no, no matter what the cost or what the effort. And he wants us to read. And if we can't read, to hear to do more than that, to receive on the inside. It's not about being clever with the Bible, that has its place, but it it is a limited place. It's about using the message and really receiving it and being changed by it. I must have thought a lot about Debbie to write, you know, to to write like that, mustn't I really? And she she wrote to me as well. But, you know, we never thought about, well, you, you do think about these things, don't you really? but, we, but we never took any serious steps to take our relationship anywhere until about 1998, which is nearly 20 years after the first letter. But after we, we decided that, yes, we did love each other and that we would build a life together and we would get married, when you go back to these letters, they mean something different. It means something different. And you see what was there all the time under the surface that you couldn't express openly all those years ago. But at least the seed of it was there, and now we can see the fruits of it. And you know, friends, it's just the same with the Bible. We can, we can be searching for God and trying to find something. And it's important, and we, you know, we give our best to it, and 
we're searching for something. But when the day comes that we're able to accept that what's given to us in the Bible is given in honest good faith to be received by us in honest good faith. But more than that, it's given from Christ himself to you personally. And that when we're able to make our commitment and say, yes, Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm going to be in love with you. I'm going to enter a partnership with you. I'm going to build my life together with you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be your disciple. When we do that, God's love letter to, to us, through all the people who've worked to get it to us, all the post-men and post-women of God's delivery service, and thank God for them, his message has come to us and we can read his love letter with a different heart. Amen.